what a lot of people don't understand before they launch their first campaign is that if you try and sell your product or market your product to your normal target market and then send them through to Kickstarter, if that target market doesn't understand what Kickstarter is or hasn't heard what Kickstarter is, you've not only got to sell them on your product, you've got to sell them on Kickstarter first. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Crowdfunding is a wonderful thing when it works. It has the potential to launch your new product with a flood of pre-orders that gives you vital cash you need to deliver on what you're making. However, 70% of crowdfunding campaigns fail to reach their target. So I'm glad to be able to talk to Will Dooley, founder of CrowdReach, who has helped run over 200 successful campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo with over $25 million raised. We talk about how Will and his co-founder were on a very unconventional degree program in Bristol when they first had the idea for CrowdReach. And we go into the do's and don'ts of successful crowdfunding. Hi, Will. Thanks for making time to join us on the podcast. No problem. Glad to be here. I've been uh, hearing all about what CrowdReach does and... You've run over 200 successful campaigns on Kickstarter, I believe. So we'd love to talk about that. But why don't we start with where you started CrowdReach? So you, you're somebody who never actually had a job. Is that right? You never had a proper job. No, no, I've never been to a job interview or anything like that. I, uh, Lucky person. Started, yeah, started CrowdReach whilst I was at university and then uh, managed to turn it into a full-time job by the time we left. Well, a few months after we left, we spent a few months sleeping in uh one room on sofas together, <laughs> trying to get enough money together. But once we'd managed that, yeah, we went straight into it out of uni. Wow. And so you, you, you said you were on some kind of course when you had the idea, or did you have the idea before you got on this course? Uh, no. So whilst we were on the course, it was basically a, a new degree that hadn't been run in the UK before called Team Entrepreneurship. Uh, there's no exams, no lectures, no timetable. You're basically given free reign to start a company of some sort or start a business related project and then you write about your experiences during that project and you relate it back to the theories that the normal business management students would be learning um on their normal degrees so you're on, i love the sound of this team entrepreneurship thing you actually come out with a degree at the end but without doing exams a degree that i've never used but yeah <laughs> and hopefully never will have to use yeah yeah true but uh, i th- i think that sounds fantastic and what did you when you went into this thing? Did you have an idea for a business or not? No. So I, I basically I came to Bristol originally, where I did the course um, to do um, engineering, and I failed miserably at engineering, and uh, just decided to do some window shopping. Whilst I was meant to be revising for some resets in second year, I started window shopping on the clearing page and found this course that said it had no exams and no lectures, which sounded amazing. <laughs> So I kind of ended up on the degree by accident. Um, didn't really know what it was until a few months in. And I, it sort of started to come through and resonate with me that actually this was a pretty awesome course that we were doing. Um, and then the actual business came out of um, some other students that we met whilst we were 
uh, in the cafeteria at uni. They were talking near one of our uh, near one of our friends about three um, D printing uh, product that they'd made, and they were talking about how they were going to market it. Um, and he got chatting to them, and uh, yeah, from that that ended up with us running our first ever Kickstarter campaign for their product, um, which was I think it raised about three times its original target, which were a first campaign. And considering we, you know, weren't exactly experts in crowdfunding at that point, it was um, quite impressive. So, I mean, you're experts in crowdfunding now, but back then, what were you using to go on? Were you just Googling things furiously or did you have some knowledge of marketing already? No, we had some knowledge of marketing um, within the team that we had for that project. Um, and there was an element of luck in it. I mean, as with a lot of these things, you know, when you first start out, I think there is an element of luck. We got quite lucky with a, a forum that we were using. Um, there's quite prolific sort of 3D printing forums around the web. Uh, quite involved in those forums, um, made quite good connections as the brand um, within those forums. And that was what essentially made that campaign successful. So then you set up a business, which is CrowdReach, to help other people to to run crowdfunding campaigns. Did you, did you see the need already? I mean, obviously, you'd had that one example of somebody you'd been helping out. I mean, was it clear to you that there was a demand for this? Uh, I mean, not straight away, but we knew the stats that were on Kickstarter at the time. So it hasn't really changed much to today. It's about 70% of campaigns that launch on Kickstarter fail. So there was an obvious market for it. It was more a case of, okay, how do we tap into this market was what we tried to work out after that campaign. Um, Initially, we made the mistake of trying to stick in the southwest of the UK. Um, And then after a couple more campaigns where we were quite limited in our options of who we could work with, we then started moving more out uh, internationally and trying to find ways that we could deliver our services without actually having to meet the clients and without necessarily having to see the product in person um, and became much more kind of remote in that way. Yeah. So now you've run all these campaigns. What have you seen So with 70% of them failing, uh, the ones who don't have your help for that, we should say, what have you noticed about the ones that do succeed and the ones that don't what are the the determining factors if you re- even though there's a big range of products what what's the commonality in the winners and losers uh so i mean as with most things in life if you fail to prepare you prepare to fail it's the same with crowdfunding um but one of the biggest elements of crowdfunding is um just not understanding how your customer is going to perceive the product when it's on kickstarter so whilst there are a lot of similarities between selling a product on Kickstarter to compared to selling on e-commerce, for example, um, there's different ways you go about it. So you would have a sales funnel for Kickstarter in the same way that you have a sales funnel for e-commerce, but the process that you use and the stages in that funnel are very different. Um, and having an understanding of how the person is going to perceive things like your product and your pricing you know what imagery and messaging they're going to, uh, is going to attack ta- catch their attention best, um, which features and USPs they're most interested in, um, and what kind of questions they're going to ask when the campaign goes live, all affect the different stages of your funnel in Kickstarter. Um, you know, as, as you go through it all, you can, little increases in uh, your click-through rate on, on any adverts you run, then, in, you know, you can then improve uh, a section on your landing page so you get a better conversion rate from it. 
that you can then improve uh, your email open rates and your email click-through rates. That information that you build prior to um, even starting your your pre-launch, the pre-launch of your campaign, can affect so many stages of your sales funnel when it comes up to the launch of the campaign. Uh, you don't realize how much of a difference it makes when you actually launch the campaign. If you add a percent to each stage of that funnel um, in the run-up to launch, when you actually launch and you send out a big mass email to everyone that you've collected and you go through all your social media and things like that when you send that out if you prepped right and you understand what people are looking for by that stage and you've improved every stage of your process yet you significantly more um sales at launch and sales at launch equals more organic traffic from kickstarter because kickstarter much like google has an algorithm running behind it which prioritizes the campaigns that are funding the fastest the campaigns that have raised the most so you do generate a significantly greater amount of organic traffic from Kickstarter by having that stronger launch. Um, and then once you've done that, having more social proof on the campaign from having more sales ultimately then results in uh, better results from your live campaign marketing because Kickstarter is all about trust ultimately. If people don't trust your company and they don't trust that they're ever going to get the product, then you're never going to succeed because you're battling to sell them not only on the product, but on you. Whereas if you've already got a campaign with a load of backers that came in in the first few days because you were pre-selling to them, you'd created that connection with them prior to launch, it then makes those sale, those people that you bring to the campaign once it's live that you don't necessarily have as much of a sales funnel with, it's much easier for them to back the campaign because they look at it and they go, oh, well, a thousand people have already done due diligence on this campaign. You've already checked out the product. They've already, you know, it just makes it a lot easier for those people to commit to the project if you've already got that existing success there, which enables you to keep going. Whereas a lot of Kickstarter campaigns, that's a good start and then they plateau out and they never grow again. They kind of get that flat spot in the middle of the campaign and it just doesn't really go anywhere from there. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So there's a lot you've said there. And I think, um, First of all, I think that pipeline thing is really interesting for sales funnel, as you described it. So for people who don't think like this, it's quite important. It's kind of thing I cover in some of my courses, where if you're on an advert, only a certain percentage of people will click through it. And then when they click through, only a certain percentage of people will opt in. Uh, for instance, if you're giving away something free or giving away information or something, only a certain percentage will then give their email address to get that. And then you're going to send them an email and possibly... Uh, promote your product or something, only a certain percentage of people will click through to the product page. And then only a certain percentage of those people will actually buy. And if you take all those sort of, um, if you end up with, you know, 10% of 1% of 2% of whatever, you begin to realize why you have to spend a lot of money on adverts before you actually get a sale. And if those numbers don't work, then you spend more on ads than you make out of a product. So, well, you're saying it. So this is part of what CrowdReach does. You go through and you do you work on all of those different elements of a sales funnel or is do you not cover all of that? Uh, yeah. So when it comes to pre-launch, we're, we're primarily a Facebook ad agency. So uh, one of the first steps that we do with our clients is we will build a small, almost focus group to use basically to learn what those people are most interested in about the product and find out all that information that we can then use to improve each step of that process. We pass all that information on to the client. We also use it when we then run ads for the client as well. Um, but our primary services are you know, building email lists 
for the for pre-launch and then running live ads on the campaign right okay that's interesting so you actually help people build that initial email list and and i spoke recently to uh laura sagan who um turned her grandmother's recipe for uh, a hair mask that makes your hair grow faster um into a commercial product called the hair fuel and she you know a lot of people report that those early sales are very important and what she did was she documented the whole process of her creating this product and launching it in order that at the point she said hey you can buy it now everyone already knew what it was and why she was doing it and so on rather than suddenly popping up and going there's a product for sale do you want to buy my thing people go what you're doing a product what is this thing so um it sounds like you're doing that in in a very systematized way so that that sounds like a great idea and you also do validation of is that what i mean part of that i guess is is a kind of validation so probably what you do is you do you validate people's ideas before they even launch yeah so part of that initial process of creating the focus group and talking to the focus group we basically pulling the information that we can collect or anything interesting that happens when we're running the Facebook ads um, and pooling it with survey data from the people that we collect into a small focus group before they before they even start doing pre-launch or anything like that. Um, we can combine that information together to generate a lot of information that's really useful for, for them. We can determine whether, uh, you know, the product is suitable for Kickstarter from that. Um, we can highlight any unforeseen difficulties the campaign might face or if there's like barriers that are preventing backers from potentially purchasing on the campaign things that they need to edit um you can also find out all sorts of information about you know the imagery messaging usps you know features of the product that people are most interested in which is what i was talking about earlier um you know you, you you understand a lot more about the product so for some clients, it validates it for them and says, yes, you've got a really good product here, but you maybe need to tweak this and that to make sure that you're actually pulling the best sales out of this. For other products, you know, it comes back and we we have to say, well, you know what, we got some really good responses from some more generic Facebook audiences, but from some more Kickstarter focused audiences, the response wasn't as good or the response was much more expensive, which implies that potentially the, the, the Kickstarter market doesn't necessarily overlap with this product's target market as much as we thought, um, which isn't necessarily the end of the world for a campaign, but it does obviously make it a lot harder and usually more expensive to run a Kickstarter campaign. So are you saying that people who use Kickstarter are a certain kind of person that's different from somebody who just goes to Amazon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There is a, a very specific demographic that uses Kickstarter. And what what is it? It's, presumably it's early adopters, is it? Yeah, early adopters. So it's, you know, as a, a general demographic, it tends to be 35-year-old men. Oh, wow. <laughs> who are interested <laughs> in tech. You know, that kind of that kind of ballpark. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the peak, peak demographic. But um, there's definitely a certain type of person. And I think what a lot of people don't understand before they launch their first campaign is that, if you try and sell your product or market your product to your normal target market and then send them through to Kickstarter, if that target market doesn't understand what Kickstarter is or hasn't heard what Kickstarter is, you've not only got to sell them on your product, you've got to sell them on Kickstarter first, which means that you just don't generate on-the-spot sales. It's near enough impossible. So if you're going to do that, or if you find out that your uh, target market doesn't necessarily overlap with with Kickstarter's demographic that much. You need to focus a lot more on on pre-launch marketing because you need to make sure you've got that time 
to not only sell them on you and the product, but also sell them on using Kickstarter as a way for helping you to get to that that stage that you need to get to. So what, what are some of your most successful campaigns? I know you worked on Better Back and I actually bought that product, which is really interesting. Um, it's a thing for improving your posture when you're sitting down. Was that one of your best ones or have you got ones that are even bigger than that? Yeah, yeah. Better Back was one of the biggest ones we, we've done. I think they did about $1.2 million by the end. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you buy yours through through a Facebook ad? Um, I, I know I got digger off Kickstarter, but I don't, I don't remember to be honest. I might have done. Yeah. But I, back then, I mean, back then, I don't know it, I, because I used to follow Kickstarter and I used to be on their email list. Okay. Yeah. But if it was, a, if it was an ad, it was you presumably. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Campaigns like that, they always have, uh, you know, multiple channels coming into them that, uh, for, for their marketing. Um, you don't get that big just overnight obviously you need a good product to start with to get get up to that level but um you know they're using all sorts of different types of marketing not just ads as well to generate that kind of revenue um you know they'll be using uh pr as well on top of that and they obviously have a huge existing backer list that they can tap into um you know it's really common these days for companies who work in a specific sector to start launching multiple campaigns a year so they'll uh, you know may, they might work in in the cycling industry so they'll launch um, one product for bicycles one month uh, build a backer list for that obviously and then they can retap into that backers into those backers sorry to to promote their second campaign and it means that when you start getting into the third fourth fifth campaign so long as your products are still good quality and so long as they're different from what you initially uh, started with. Uh, these companies are able to improve their return on investment, you know, tenfold with each campaign because they literally just go back to the backers from the last campaign each time. And then that existing success in the first few days, like I was saying, then promotes them and they end up on the front page of Kickstarter. And they pick up a load of new backers, which they can then use for the next campaign. And it's like a, a beautiful little cycle when you can get into it that is just you know, a lot of people use that system for making money on Kickstarter. With Betterback, at what stage did they come to you? Was it, at, were they ready to go or, or was it an early stage? So with, with Betterback, we, we came in on their second campaign. So because it was their second campaign, they came to us, I think a few days after they'd launched. Um, so they were just about to hit that lull where the initial, you know, big email list they had and their past campaign backers that were, um, picking up all the early birds were starting to drop off. I think they were basically looking to bolster that middle part of their campaign using our services. And and was it already successful when it had done the you know at that beginning stage? Yeah, with campaigns like that, generally they you know if they they have existing success. I think their first campaign was almost as big as their second. Um, you know, it's it's much easier for them to get off the ground. Um, when it comes to the smaller campaigns, it's, that's when it starts to get really interesting with, you know, how you then start to generate sales on a campaign because, you know, they don't have the existing resources. They don't necessarily have the funding and they don't have the the existing backer list to be able to tap into. Um, so you generally find a lot more creativity with the marketing when it comes to those campaigns because they have to be. They have to get, you know, as you do with Facebook ads, you know, you can create a normal Facebook ad and it will do it'll do fine but if you want an ad that really performs well you need to think a little bit outside of the box to generate that you know that engagement on the ad 
um, to get your cost per clicks down. So it's it's similar with the way they market. If there was one thing you wanted to tell people not to do in a crowdfunding <laughs> campaign, is, could you could you think of something? Um, so, I mean, the best thing not to do is underestimate it. That as soon as you think you're you've done enough work, then you're setting yourself up to fail. Because the amount of campaigns we get that come to us and they they say, oh, yeah, no, we've got pre-launch all sorted. We've got our email list. It's 200 people. Um, and then I asked them, okay, so what kind of, you know, what, what kind of conversion rate do you think you're going to get from that? Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, they just lots of people underestimate the amount of work you have to put into it. Um, and, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's probably the biggest cause of failed campaigns is launching without enough to get you get you up to a decent level i mean the good thing though about putting all that work in is you're effectively getting a secondary benefit of promoting the product generally so all the effort and all the money all the ads you run and all the noise you make and and anything else you do like pr is going to help just raise the profile of the product anyway isn't it yeah yeah for sure and i mean particularly with pre-launch it uh you know it, it really helps to get the name of the brand out there as well and what a lot of people do is they they almost self-brand the companies. So they'll put the the founder of the company at the forefront of uh, you know any emails that are being sent out. Because with Kickstarter, you really want to try and create a personal relationship with the people who are backing. Um, you don't necessarily want to try and build trust in the company because it's difficult to build trust in a company that hasn't existed up until a few months ago. Um, whereas a person, it's it's much easier and much quicker to build a personal relationship with people. Oh, that's interesting. So this is, hey, it's Steve here, hey, it's Sarah here, whatever it might be. And that's, that's because, like, if we like the way you're speaking to us, then we start to trust you, whereas, you know, just this is the whatever company. Um, it's a lot harder work, particularly, as you say, company hasn't really got any kind of profile. So, okay, that's fascinating. And um, if people want to find out more about CrowdReach, where should they go? Um, crowdreach.co the website is probably the best place it's got everything we do is up there um, see all our past campaigns on there um, and yeah want to learn a bit more about crowdfunding we're always happy to talk to people so just drop us a message through the contact form great okay thanks Will no problem Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.